Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. It's me, Paul J. Long, all-around silly guy that brings the noise and the funk every single day. If you're tuning in, you know what we're all about, bringing fun, joy, and fulfillment to you and yours. So thank you for tuning in and making us one of the top 200 podcasts and self-help. That means a lot to me, and we appreciate your support. Speaking of support, Charlie Hustle has been with us since day one. If you don't know anything about them, what are you doing and where have you been? Please go to charliehustle.com to learn more about their fancy apparel. Speaking of fancy, uh, we got a fancy guest today. He is so fancy, he even commented on the fanciness of my headphones. He is the ambassador brewer here at Boulevard Brewery, one of my favorite beers, Boulevard Wheat. I am just stoked to be here across table from Jeremy Danner. What's good, Jeremy Danner? I'm so happy to be here, man. Mm. The sun's shining. Yes. Obviously, it, it might not be shining when people listen to this, That's true. but it's shining right now, dude. <laughs> it is definitely shining. That's right. It yeah. might, so I just, got, I just got back from Detroit. The sun was not shining there. I've never been to Detroit. You haven't? Mm-mm. Being a Royals fan, you've I, never taken in a game? From, I need to get up there, yeah. yeah. Do you travel and watch the Royals? You know, I, I went to a game in Cincinnati last year for work. Uh, some of our sales guys who understand it or cool are like, you know, you could come. Like, I'm going to uh, Seattle in June. Okay. I'm like, well, there happens to be a baseball game in Seattle in June. Do you want to come? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. So they'll, they'll figure out a trip around that. So I've been to... I saw a game in Chicago a couple of years ago. Sure, uh, those guys did not like us there. No, we had really now, good. What yeah. Chicago? Uh, White Sox. Okay, yeah. yeah. We, had really, we had really nice seats behind home plate, and I had a Salvi jersey on. And these guys yelled at me the whole like, "You're going to strike out, bro!" I'm like, "I'm not batting, <laughs> so I'm not going to strike out. I'm drinking beers with my friends. I, I win." But right. They're like, "Please don't talk trash back to the Chicago White Sox fans." No, that is going to happen because yeah. that's all we know. Um, so. You know, we've our relationship has kind of blossomed uh, through social media, as your relationship with many uh, individuals in not only Kansas City but elsewhere, beer aficionados, Royals fans, all things Kansas City. You're really active on social media, which I want to talk about. Um, but of course, you kind of you kind of blew up on social media when the Royals all of a sudden hit their heyday, right? 2014. Uh, all of a sudden, we're we're winning games for the first time in 29 years. Essentially, is that crazy. Is my timeline right? Yeah, it feels right. I mean, I, I've been pretty active. I I think I joined in in 2009. Okay, and I I never really cared about, and I still don't care about how many followers you have. And I don't sure. I don't think people really do care about that. Maybe some people do, but yeah, around that time, people are like, oh man, this guy is this Royals fan for a long time, and like we were out doing events in Philadelphia, New Jersey, and Florida. We launched those states in 2014 and people would come to events and be like, Hey man, we're pulling for you guys. And it was, it was neat to have that. Right. Somebody crossed the street in Philadelphia. I was wearing a Royals jacket and this guy like looked up and saw my jacket. Didn't recognize me, but he saw my jacket and crossed the street. And I'm like, Oh no, what's, what's about to go down. He put his hands on my shoulder, rooting for you guys. I'm like, Oh, thank God. Yes. Like I thought you were going to kill me. Um, like, I, but if you die on a work trip, is it in fight club? It says your, your insurance pays out extra. Is that what it is? I think so. So yeah, I thought about to that. your family, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But I'm like, this guy's going to murder me. But, um, it, it was neat that that sort of all happened at the same time. And, just being positive about baseball and positive about the Royals and Kansas City in general, I think is kind of what helped that happen. But outside of like dying on the baseball diamond at Kauffman Stadium, I mean, being in Philadelphia, spurting some Royals attire and being so proud of your community and team that somebody kills you for it is pretty dope as well. That's a good way to go. Yeah. <laughs> my, my wife would not agree, but... Um, Fortunately for me, she never listens to any <laughs> podcasts I do, so we're good. Oh, I'm going to send her this link. Don't do it, man. Uh, so before we get, because I got a million questions, and you mentioned uh, you mentioned Chicago and the cell, uh, so I, I got to tell you a brief story about that. But before we get too far down the path, we start out with one question every single guest. Uh, our business is fun. What do you do for fun? Man, my favorite thing is to take my boy out to the K and and catch a game and have a beer and eat a bunch of candy. Yes. Like, I love that. And then I think if I had to pick a second, it'd be hanging on the couch with, with my wife and my kid and our dogs. Like awesome. That, that's where it's at, man. Cool. So uh, family gives a lot of people strength, right? Yeah, it's huge. It, what's interesting about that is sometimes the things that pick us up can also tear us down, right? And so, you know, we have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and I, like you, thoroughly enjoy hanging out with them all the time. We're trying to potty train right now. We're also trying to learn to ride the bike. Sure. And uh, man, they hate bedtime. Yeah. So, you so know, do I, man. That's what, true, yeah. true, true. In fairness, so do I. True. But my, my point is, you know, it's easy for us to say I like to chill with my, with my kids, right? 
what's amazing about what you said is you were far more detailed. I like taking in a baseball game with my son, right? I like hanging out on the couch watching a show with my wife. Um, I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that that conversations can get really, really basic if we allow them to. Sure. And so like you, you ask somebody, hey, how's your day going? Somebody says, good, it's fine. It's good, it's fine. Yeah, yeah right. And you, they walk off, right? Um, but ultimately, you could always catch somebody off guard if you're a little more, de- oh, really? Really, your day's good? Like, what is the best thing about What's good your about day? it? Yeah, yeah what is yeah. good about it? So I like the fact that you got a little more detailed. And obviously, you spent uh, a little bit of energy on something near and dear to my heart, which is the Kansas City Royals. You said you uh, you indulge in a little candy out of the stadium. Yeah, I try what, to. What kind of candy? We eat everything, man. What I found out early on when he was young, he's six now. He just turned six yesterday. Congrats. Thanks, man. It's crazy. Um, when, when he was younger, he wasn't as much into the game, but he was there for the experience. So people are like, just feed him everything. <laughs> so we're getting uh, Mike and Ikes, and we're getting M&Ms, we're getting popcorn, we're getting cotton candy. I saw the pictures of the yeah. cotton candy, bro. Oh, the cotton candy pictures are amazing. <laughs> no matter how cold it is, we're getting Dippin' Dots. Like yes. These things are happening at the K. Like I always see, like I'll watch a game and I'm like, who are these adults eating ice cream in a game? And now I'm an adult yes. who eats ice cream in a game. A side note, you're yeah. not an adult. Okay, you're right. <laughs> I'm tall. That's but right. I'm not, I have a job and I drive, but I'm not. That's fair. Well, which is hilarious because you call your son. What's your son's name? Uh, his name's Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. You call him our miniature roommate? A small roommate. Small yeah, roommate. Yeah. He started like, out as tiny roommate. Okay. And then around like three, I think, like it's time to upgrade to small roommate. Right. Yeah. And it's been amazing to kind of follow his journey on social media as well. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people struggle with that. Sure. Um, and I think you do a masterful job of balancing work, professionalism, family, and all that jazz. Uh, but, you know, we've been kind of tracking his growth and... I saw a picture early on this year where he was celebrating his 100th day of school. Yeah. And as such, uh, the school did a little thing where you dress up like a 100-year-old individual, yeah, right? Yeah. And we were doing the same thing at Adlin's school. I think our kids dress the same, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. He was like old man, uh, like bow tie, suspenders, yes. big glasses. Yes. He, st- he, he still wears the big glasses. Man. He likes to wear like his fake glasses or whatever. I love them. It's great, man. Do you think our kids are, will ever date each other? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's, I don't know That's if I want to put like, that energy out there. I don't there. know. Like he, he really likes his teacher right now. So like, okay. you're going to have to get him away from his teacher. For, oh, man. He's into those older chicks. He loves Mrs. I, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so when you're out at the stadium, you're taking in a game, there's a lot of exciting things going on. There's a lot of cool players right now, one of which is really active um, in a partnership with Boulevard. And uh, we're actually donning uh, yeah. a f- some fresh new duds. We didn't plan this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, but we both got our unfiltered wit shirt on. How'd you get connected with Whit Mer- Merrifield? So I, you know, I, I, when he came up, he said, you know, like the league on fire. The sure. guy was crushing it. He had a great story. Uh, Joel Goldberg was talking to his grandpa Bill on the stands. Yeah, that, that, that's Bill's name. Yeah, his name is Bill. Yeah, just fun to watch. I'm like, man, this is a great story. And then uh, last year, between opening day and the second game, there's always a, a day break between the two. Um, Wit's agent had contacted my boss uh, to get him a tour here, and my boss, she's like, I'm going to make your day, dude. Uh, Wit Merrifield <laughs> wants to come check out the brewery. We, we give him a tour, and I'm like, yeah, sure. Yes. It's like, okay, we'll call his agent, but maybe wait 20 minutes so you don't seem too eager, you know? Right. It's like when, when somebody, like, <laughs> w- like when you're in high school and, like, you get, like, you a, get the digits. You get, a, you get a message from a girl you like, and you're like, yeah. right, wait seven minutes and then respond. So I'm like, all right, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. So I call his agent, and we, we set up this tour, and we just had a really great time hanging out. And, you know, Wit during the tour mentioned that at some point he, he'd think it would be cool to have an endorsement deal with Boulevard. Smart and, man. And it was neat because, Sometimes you see athletes, you know, peddling things that they're just peddling because they're getting paid to do it. But for me, it's neat that like Wit loves Boulevard. He likes our beer. Um, he gets what we're doing in the community. It, it just makes sense. It's not. I mean, it, it is a business deal. It's an endorsement, but it's more than that. It's about the relationship between the brewery and the team and Wit and, and the whole thing. Just makes sense to me. Well, and and to take it one step further, it's something that that we talk a lot about here on the podcast. It's about experience. And the reason why I bring that up is because in the most recent vid uh, that you guys dropped, and our, our new camera guy, Rob, stood us up today. Clark is out here helping us out, so we appreciate you, Clark. Thank you for being here. Clark actually got to film some of these uh, these videos and these shorts with uh, Whit Merrifield, but he talks about America's favorite pastime and how nothing goes better together than beer and baseball. And he's right. And he's right. And that's an experience, right? right? And so to think about you and the experiences that you create 
beer gives so and alcohol sure. gives so many people joy. Yeah. How did you get in this this space? Tell me about your journey in uh, the beer world. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start at the beginning and tell me if if you want me to to skip a bit. No, but, dude. You you give me okay. bring the noise. But basically. My my love affair with beer began on my 21st birthday. Hmm. And I, I, I drank beer before then. I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> I never drank before I was 21. Everyone did. Uh, but I had a buddy who was a brewer at a brew pub in uh, Independence called Hops. The guy's name is Ryan Seymour. And I was in an improv troupe with him. He said, hey, man, on your 21st birthday. Hold up. Well, yeah. You did improv? I still do, yeah. Not, not as much as I, I did before. But yeah, I was, I was in a professional troupe for about 10 years. And I was doing... You know, shows two or three times a week. Yeah, really. Yeah. All right. So as this as the story progresses, would sure. you be willing to walk me through an improv exercise to wrap up the podcast? Um, maybe we'll see. Okay. Let's yeah, go. yeah. Maybe you'll forget by the time we get there. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me let me let me think because it, right. it's it's tough to translate because like when you're thinking for me the whole thing about improv and it's it's like anything you do in life the whole goal is to just do it and get out of your head. Yes. And like people read books about like how to play tennis and you're like just play tennis, man. <laughs> Just play tennis. Or you talk to guys about like their approach at the plate and like, I'm thinking about this. No, see the ball, hit the ball. That's it. And that, that's the way improv is, is like, listen to the person talking and actually listen to them instead of yes waiting and. for your turn to talk. Yes, and. And then, and then yes, and. Yeah. <laughs> and then some, like, once you get good, you can disagree. But yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me think about it as we go through. All right. Sorry to interrupt. No, man. you're good, dude. So I, I show up at the brew pub on my 21st birthday and my buddy Ryan is climbing out of one of the kettles after brewing to, to clean up the brew house after his shift. And that's when it hit me. People make beer. You're like you, you buy your six pack at the store and you think, okay, it comes from a brewery, which is a factory, which is somewhere far away. And you don't think about the fact that like people like bust their butt in a physical sense to make beer. Like he lugs grain around, he carries it, you know, he gets in this kettle and scrubs it and cleans it, comes out sweaty and disgusting, but he does that because he loves beer and he loves that end result. And that's, that's when I became obsessed and started reading everything I get my hands on about beer. So I, I bounced around to a few bars and um, kind of worked at bars that focused on craft beer and proper service and storage and all that and educating people about beer. And then I, I worked at Coaches down at 103rd Dude, uh, I in Warnell for a couple of years. Didn't and they I, lose their owner a couple, yeah, last yeah, year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I actually got fired at the end of my tenure at Coaches, <laughs> which is uh, there's a theme uh, of my jobs leading up to here of getting fired. So I, I got fired and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go up to 75th Street Brewery. I've been hanging out there drinking beer. I'm going to go try to get a job waiting tables and bartending there. So I did that in November of 2005. And then in June of 2006, I was offered a spot on the brewing team as one of the assistant brewers and, and kind of got into that and fell in love. I thought maybe someday I might like to run my own brewery. So I went into management at, at the brew pub and learned quickly I'm not a manager. Now, have you ever done uh, like homebrew or anything like that? No, no. What's All crazy right. is so the, the first batch of beer I ever made was seven barrels. So 14 full-size kegs is the smallest amount of beer I've ever made, Wow, which is nuts. That's, a, that's an insane amount of beer to start out. Sure. Um, uh, real quick, you said yeah. that you're not, you're, you realize you're not a manager of people. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a worker bee. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why do you say that? You know, I'm, I'm not a good manager. I, I, <laughs> I want to work and I want to work with people. Okay. And I found that during the shift at 75th Street Brewery, like I'd be out, you know, bussing tables, running food, doing that kind of stuff. And like, no, no, you need to manage the shift. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Right. And it, it's also tough. I'm not a control freak, but I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Okay. So it's hard for me to watch people mess things up. And that, that was tough. And as a manager, you have to give people the opportunity to fail because that's how you learn. Do you remember Nick Burns, your company's computer guy off SNL? Uh, no, I've not seen that. Jimmy Jimmy Fallon used to have a bit, and he was a. Uh, it was in the '90s when you know the, the computer was relatively sure. new, and so he was the rude computer guy. Whenever you had a problem, he'd come in and he'd get super frustrated because yeah. he'd be walking you through something, you wouldn't get it, and so he'd say, "Move." Yeah, same kind it's of thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let me wait your tables, man. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm like, this is terrible. So I I left there and actually took a job managing another bar, but more bartending as a man, like managing from behind the bar. That was more my speed. While I was doing that, I was working as an assistant brewer at the power plant up in Parkville. Okay. And then also working part-time on the smokestack line here at Boulevard. And that was in early 2008. Okay. I got fired from my bar job <laughs> on St. Patrick's Day. For, for with cause? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I won't, I, won't, I won't mention the bar. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I went in for my shift at the beginning of the day on St. Patrick's Day. I said, hey man, before you get started, let's talk. And I'm like, oh, here it, here it comes. I'm getting fired. And they sit me down and they fire me. And I say... Thank you. And they go, what? I go, thank you for firing me. Like, I, this isn't working out. We all know that. I'm not happy here. 
but I'm doing this because I feel like I need to. Yes. But this is the kick in the butt I need to get focused back on beer. Love it. So I said, thank you. And then I, I went out to the car and I cried. And, uh, and then I called my wife said, hey, I got fired. She's like, you don't, you don't like working there anyway. Right. You're right. You're right. It's, it needed to happen. Isn't that an interesting dynamic? I just had this conversation with a gentleman in the airport yesterday. Because he was talking about the culture of his, of his organization and how it's really stuffy. And he feels like he's disingenuous because he's more lighthearted like you and fun. And uh, he's always like holding himself back. Sure. And so he struggles because he feels like, you know, he's, he's nitpicked in these meetings and, and he just doesn't feel like himself. And he asked what advice I'd give to him. And I said, what if you lost your job tomorrow? Like, what if, what if you went in to the office and they said, you know, Jeremy, in this case for you, Jeremy, how long have you, have you been with Boulevard? And you say, well, going on nine years in July. And they say, no, you're not. You're fired. Right. Uh, what would you do? And so this dude said, like you, I'd be relieved. Yeah. And so then I said, so why the hell are you being disingenuous and, and, yeah. and not authentic? Why, what do you have to lose? Like, go out there, do the damn thing, be yourself, find joy in what you do. And if it's not meant to be, then it's not meant to be. So I love the fact that you told the story that even though you thought, you know, that you would be relieved, that there was still anxiety, fear, and tears associated with the actual well, yeah. finite moment. I mean, nobody's happy about losing their job. Right. But I mean, now obviously having that perspective of, 11 years later, things are going well. It worked out. Sure. But in that moment, yeah, I was like, I was relieved. You know, thank you. And then I was bummed I didn't have a job. I cried. Right. And then I, I called Stephen Pansy. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> there was like big tears, dude, like, like physical sobbing, you know. I cry um, all the time. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so then I, I called Stephen Powell, our brewmaster here, and I, I got to know him through my part-time gig. I said, hey, man, I got fired today. I want to work at Boulevard full-time. I'll do anything. Uh, so I came in and interviewed for a bottling line job. And the next day... Uh, March 26th at 6.25 p.m., Stephen Bowles called me and he said, hey, I know that I just gave you this brewing job or this bottling line job yesterday, but uh, I had a brewer give notice today and I'd like to give you that job instead. Is that okay? And I, I blurted out, I'd been drinking to kind of celebrate I had this job, and I blurted out and I go, no shit. And he goes, no shit, man. I'll see you Monday. And that's, that's how I got my brewing that's job at awesome. Yeah, crazy. Man. It worked out. And so, so now you're the ambassador brewer. Right. Which, before the podcast started, I kind of just, you know, humorously said, that's like the hype man for, for Boulevard. And you were like, kind of. Yeah, in a way. So what, is that, what, is, what exactly does that title include? What do you do? Yeah, so I, I started out as a brewer here in 08. And during that time, I became the guy who would go to dinners and tastings to represent the brewery. Did a lot of that stuff in Kansas City, the Midwest. Started traveling nationally. And that sort of created this question of, are you a brewer? Or are you this guy who travels to represent the beer and the brewery and, and talk about it? So at the beginning of 2013, I was given the chance to create my own job, and I'm kind of on the third or fourth evolution of that job, but basically what I do is um, it's my job to kind of translate the world of brewing to marketing. I'm on the marketing team now, mm. so I kind of serve as a go-between or a handshake, and then also be able to explain what we're doing in marketing to brewers so that they understand. Because I, I strongly feel that beer should inform the marketing, not the marketing should dictate the beer. Sure. So what we do is the brewers play and experiment and make whatever they want to. And once we realize we have something that might be uh, suitable for a seasonal release or a new year on beer, that's when we start getting serious and like thinking about, okay, what about this beer speaks to the way we should name the beer or what the label should look like or how we should talk about it. So I want to translate that, but then also uh, in, a, in a more public facing role, I, I serve as one of the, the faces of the brewery and faces of the beer along with uh, Stephen Powell's our brewmaster and John McDonald and, uh, Jeff Crum, our CEO, and Natalie Gershon, our VP of Marketing, and any other people that want to go out and represent the brewery, I'm one of the primary spokespeople uh, for our brewery. So um, I, I sort of serve as that. And then whenever we have guests at the brewery from other breweries that come into town, or like when, when Witt's agent wanted to get him in. Uh, that's Darn it. I know. It's like, I'll, <laughs> fine, I will do this. So um, sort of serve as the hype man slash kind of welcome mat for the brewery. In yeah. And as such, you travel a little bit and you get to represent your brand in other states, yeah. which is really cool. We've talked a little bit about that at uh, a couple of charity events that I've seen you at. So as the, the, you know, the voice of Boulevard at times, 
I've done uh, several or been able to be a part of several events at Boulevard, most of which are for charity. Yeah. Very active with Noah's Bandage Project as the board president for pediatric cancer research, uh, founded by a little six-year-old boy, which speaks near and dear to our hearts. I have yeah. a six-year-old a girl. You have a six-year-old boy. And at those events, you uh, you led both of them. You were the the MC, if you will, for Jake Jacobson's Dancing with the Stars and, yeah. and now Amanda Turk's Dancing with the Stars and right, did a, right. a tremendous job. But we're sitting across from each other and I'm talking to you about, do you get nervous? when you're talking in front of groups. And what, what, what's your overall take on that? I don't. Um, I, I think sometimes I do. It's funny, if I have to talk in a planned meeting here, like to my coworkers, I get nervous for some reason. I don't know why. Hmm. But I think here at the brewery, especially talking about beer with people, that's something that, like my job is easy. One, because our, our beer is amazing. Our brewers and our brewmaster are incredibly talented folks. And that makes it so easy. There's no pressure. I just show up and people want to like someone from the brewery um, but then at the same time, doing these events, especially when it's fundraising and it's something, we, we talked about this before we started recording, one of the reasons that I feel it's important to, to help out when I can is that I'm so lucky that, that my son is, is happy and healthy. We don't have any major issues. So I, I don't want to mess it up. Right. I want to do a good job for, for these fundraisers. And that there's a little bit of pressure there to not mess it up. But then at the same time, my reputation precedes me. And I, I don't want people to be disappointed either. So right. I put a little pressure on myself in that regard. And I, I do get a little bit nervous before it starts. But then once it starts, it's just hanging out, you know, talking casually, having a beer with people, and everything seems to flow from there. And that seems to be that seems to be the difference. You know, you mentioned that still to this day, when you have these these business meetings, you might get a little worked up or more anxious. Sure. But but this is a setting where you thrive, right? Yep. Where you're sitting across from me, and we're talking, or you're emceeing an event because like it's improv, right? Yeah. You just you're just going with the flow. And I think that uh, it draws a very strong parallel to what you had mentioned earlier, and that. You know, you you want to hit a baseball, like just just get up there and look at the ball and swing the bat at it, right? right? Get out of your freaking head and do the damn thing. And unfortunately, I think that so many people in life, whether it's it's speaking in front of a large group or um, potentially finding a job that works best because you're in a miserable situation or having a difficult conversation with a spouse, whatever it may be, you just freaking weigh and weigh, weigh and weigh all the options of what could be and what 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 you might say and what you should say, and and ultimately you just prolong the inevitable. Right. It's also unfair. Because you, you start that conversation with someone. If you've if you like say you're mad at, about something and you're driving home and you're like, oh, when I get there, I'm going to say this. And you have the conversation in your head before you get there, mm. and you start the conversation in the middle, and the other person's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know what's going on. You know, we, we had we had a guy here on the brewing team, great guy, but he would he had great questions about marketing, but he would start the conversation in the middle, and I'm like, Dan, what are we talking about? <laughs> we get like I don't even. He, and he would say. Um, You'd say the reason I ask is how he would start, and I go, "You didn't ask me anything." <laughs> you know, I'm like, you, "You've been thinking about this question in your head," and and I think we do, we do that. Like, sure, you know, I, my wife and I, we have arguments. That's what you do with people that you spend your entire you waking love, time yeah. with. Yeah, you have conflicts and disagreements, and I try not to do that. I'm like, wait a minute, I started in the middle of this. That's not fair to you at all. Sure. So that, that's the other thing you do when you get when you get um, you know kind of psyched out about it. Yes. But I, th- I think the difference for me in the, the business meeting situation, especially in our plan meetings, is you're talking at people instead of with people. Oh, and, perfect, And what, yeah. what we're doing now is talking with, and that's also why um, when I speak to large groups, if I can, I, I project pretty well. I prefer to not use a microphone. Sure. Because to me, this microphone create and not, not right now, this is a barrier. obviously recording. It's no, you're right, I get but it. But this microphone is a barrier. Yeah. It's this physical barrier in between you and the people you're talking to. Sure. And to me, that represents talking at instead of with. And Man. That's why the smaller things we've done in the, the brew house bar over here are so great, because I can look at people and see that we can make eye contact and talk with each other about things versus like addressing this faceless crowd and having the microphone in the middle and hearing your voice in a different way. You know, sure. it's all these things that are barriers to actually real communication, which is what, what makes the talking with so much more important than talking at for That's me. That's exactly right. And you know what's amazing is we play very similar roles in our professional careers. Yeah. So you do it as a representative of, of Boulevard, and I do it as a representative of this philosophy called fundamentalism. And so when I'm out on the road and I do a keynote, typically afterwards people come to me and they say, hey, do you get nervous? The same stuff that we're talking about yeah. right now, right? I can never do that. I can never get up in front of folks. And I think that the, the, magic, the magical moment for me was realizing that I'm not talking to a thousand people. 
I'm not talking to 300 people. I'm talking to one person at a time. Yeah. I'm talking about a message that is going to connect with everybody, but I talk to Jeremy and then I move on and then I talk to Stephanie and then I move on and I and ultimately to your point you're now talking with people instead of at people. Yep. And I dude, I love and speaking of improv, I never give the same keynote twice. I mean, I have a general outline. Sure. But I, if if I go and I like literally in the middle of a keynote, I'll I'll walk, I'll get off the stage and I'll say, "You sir, what's your name?" and you'll say, "Jeremy." And, I, and we'll just start yucking it up, right? And then now everybody's like, first of all, they're paying attention right. because they, oh, well, crap, he might call. Is he going to talk to me? <laughs> oh my God. To me. Yeah. But, but more importantly, people are like, oh, he's relatable. And, yeah. and that's what you are. Yeah, that's important. And so I think that ultimately, if anybody out there is listening to this and you struggle with getting up in front of groups of people, the most, the most basic skill that you can have is instead of looking at it as talking to a large group of people, look at it as you're just carrying on a conversation. You're being authentic. You're talking about things that give you strength or that, that, you, that you enjoy talking about or that you're an expert in. Yeah. Because if you're getting up to talk about your brand, then clearly you know it, you yeah. know it right? Yeah. So, so get out of your head and just swing, swing at the baseball, right? Yeah. I love that you said that, man. That's beautiful. People also ask me, what, what are you like? I'll go to talk to our distributor or to beer. What are you going to talk about? And I'm like, I have no idea. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking. Right. And I'm going to stop at some point. But in the middle, you're going to read the crowd. Or people also say that oh, I could never do improv. And you're like, well, we're doing it right now. Except the trick is doing it on stage and pretending you're not doing it. Every conversation you have, is improvised. Dude. There's not a script for every interaction you have throughout your day. Exactly. And it's, it's that same thing. It's about getting out of your head and just doing it. But if you can talk to people and listen, you can do improv or you can speak in front of people or you can do whatever you want sure. to really if, if you stop being afraid of it. Yeah. And, and if it's important to you and a priority to you. I mean, I, I hear people often say, oh, I don't have time or that's, you know, I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't. Right. right? No, let's be honest. It's not a priority to you. Right. You don't want to. You don't want to. That's exactly right. So yesterday, uh, doing an event, and I asked the group, I said, hey, raise your hand if you enjoy singing. Like you sing in the car, you sing in the shower. Jeremy, I'm talking three quarters of the audience raised their hand. Yeah. I said, keep your hand raised if you feel comfortable or you would do that in front of this group. And every single one of them put their hand down. I said, these people matter so much to you and their perception of you matters so much to you that you would remove something that gives you joy in your life out of fear of what they think of you as a result of you doing it. Nobody should be that powerful in your life. No, and there are probably people in that room whose names they don't know. That's exactly right. Yeah, you're like, do you know this person? No. (laughs) What do you care, man? Exactly. Which is a perfect segue to a conversation that we've had often and a conversation that many listeners struggle with on a regular basis. Business right now has shifted in terms of marketing. A lot of a lot of uh, individuals are going to learn more about brands via social media. For sure, I'm talking individual brands and organizational brands. And so, as such, we have this facade that we put out there. There's two people out in the world. There's the person that you are and the person that you present yourself to be. And so, I started following you on Twitter. And great dude, very authentic. Um, I'll never forget the the gift that I saw of you. Uh, where you're clapping, right? Yeah, and it's still, yeah. it's what is it? Royals clap. You still search gifts, it's and it's so there, good, right? Man, oh, yeah. dude, it's so awkward. You're like, was it Barbara Streisand that did that? You know, I'd, I'd had a few beers that <laughs> game, just a one yeah. or two, yeah. right? But anyway, I love that. And so, um, but my first time interacting with you was actually at Royals Fan Fest in 2015. Yeah, I saw you, and I think you even had, I think you even had your your family with you. I think and, so, yeah. So that was really cool to see you. Outside of the you know the IT world, like now you're an actual person. He's a real yeah, and it's so weird. People say to me like, "Oh, you're a real guy," and I'm like, "What do you think you're gonna get?" Like, yeah, like I'm I'm a terrible liar. I can't lie. Like I can't lie in person. I certainly can't lie online in written words. Yes, yeah. like I am who I say I am. But there's a lot of people who do. Sure. And there's a lot of internet trolls out there. Oh yes. And I've seen you, and you do it. Uh, you do it very honorably. I've seen you get into. Um, really respectful conversations uh, about disagreements of opinion in terms of craft beer or whatever it may be. How do you manage that? Because there's a lot of people, and we talk about professional athletes getting, getting, you know, torn down by what people are saying. And you know, this is a huge negative burden for a lot of kids these days being bullied. How do you manage that? You know, I, I used to allow myself to get excited when someone would say something that I felt was unfair or hurtful to me. But then I, I realized, I don't know this person. They don't know me. Right. And so many people online, they don't have their own picture. You know, they have um, 
like a bald eagle on top of a mountain or something. They're like, oh, here we go, buddy. Um, they don't have their real name. They don't have where they live. They don't have where they work. So all, all my stuff is it's there. You can Google me. You'd be like, yeah, that's him. You know, that, you could be a catfish you, though. I could be. It's it's a very <laughs> elaborate catfish. Yeah, like some Andy Kaufman style stuff. But yes. like, it's been twenty years of ta-da. Gotcha. Yeah. But what I realized is, um, I I got in trouble for a tweet I posted a couple years ago, and it uh, it caused me to sit down and really reflect and write down some personal guidelines. And one of the first things I wrote down is let the haters hate. Mm. And I've, I, when someone is intent on hating you and trolling you online, there's nothing you can say that's going to make that person go, oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. I've been unreasonable. Um, let's have a, let's have a, a polite conversation. Yeah. That's not going to happen. You seem like a really respectful yeah. guy. You just have to let it go. But at the same time, it, it is weird because I found one of the worst things you can say to someone online is I respectfully disagree with you and here's why. And people, oh, I don't want to argue. Well, we're not having an argument. Right. We have a disagreement. Right. And we can have conflicting points of view and express those in a polite, respectful manner. And that's not an argument. It's a conversation. Sure. But people forget that. So I always try to frame it that way. People are like, oh, I didn't mean to make you mad. I'm not mad. <laughs> if, you, if I were mad, I would say I'm mad. That's, right. That's how you'll know. Sure. But I, I just disagree with you. So I try to, I, I give people the benefit of the doubt now. Before, it's like, let's unleash hell. Like, let's fire hard. Like, fire everything right now. Right. And that's no way to be. No. You know, like, I, I wouldn't talk to people like that in person, and I would hope that people don't talk to me like that uh, in person. But online, it's different. You know, people are brave. They're bold. They hide behind their bald eagle on the mountaintop sure. or whatever. They're... What, uh, cute, picture of their dog. Cute bulldog. I'm yeah. like, damn it, your dog is so cute. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> How could you be such an asshole? I really hate like you, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I let the haters hate is, is what I found. And then... One of the other things I wrote down is um, celebrate the things you love not, and don't hate the things that you don't love. Yes. It's so much easier to do that. Like it, We talked about this earlier, like being, being nice is easy and free. Yeah. It requires far less energy than being mean. And you have to think, like, to be mean, you have to like, think about it. Sure. But like, being normal and nice is easy. It, it yes. just flows. And that was another thing I wrote down is celebrate, celebrate beer, celebrate the things you love. And the things that you don't like, just don't talk about them online. Right. Is what I do. And I mean, I'm not saying censor myself, but like people, I enjoy Twitter for the fact that it's an ongoing conversation. Sure. It's a great distraction. It's a great networking tool. It, it's cool because Twitter gives you access to people that you might not normally have access to. And, and the way to build that and develop that is to find, find people that you like and you want to celebrate that you admire and you respect and just tell them that. And be authentic. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Other, the other day, I... I don't know why it, it took me so long to get into Jason Isbell, but I'm but I'm there now. Who is what is this? Jason Isbell? What is that? He's a, a singer songwriter. He wrote. Um, I mean, this is not the thing that he should be known for, but he wrote uh, a lot of the songs that Bradley Cooper sang in A Star Is Born. Oh, okay. He, he's a songwriter for that, but yeah, brilliant musician. And uh, I bought this um, this live album from the Ryman Theater, and I'm I'm listening to it at home. I'm just getting goosebumps. I'm like, man, this is brilliant. So I just feel I'm like, hey, man, I just need you to know. This moment in the song and live at the rhyme, it gives me major goosebumps. Can't wait to see you in Kansas City. And dude's like, hey, thanks. And and I don't I don't care if he thanks me or likes my tweet or even looks at it. But for me, in that moment, I'm like, man, I want this guy to know how much this piece of music he created means to me. Sure. Or when when a, a dude on our team has a good game, you're like, hey man, great game. Glad you're here. Versus um, hey, way to strike out. You know, way to swing at a ball low and right. outside on O2. Way to really earn that $13 million a year. Yeah. And, and I kind of learned from here, I, I've messed up batches of beer at work, and every brewer who works at Boulevard has messed up a batch of beer, and every brewer after us will too. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing that your manager or your coworkers can say that will make you feel worse than you already do. Sure. And that guy walking back to the dugout, he's bummed. You know, sure. he, he knows that he did not do his job. Or In his head. Execute. And he doesn't need some dude he doesn't know online telling him where to go, bro. Sure. He knows. So I, I've just decided to like just celebrate stuff. You know, the thing that I love uh, about the opportunity to do this podcast is you, know, you don't get the opportunity to sit down and have real conversations that are fruitful and talking about things that you know give others joy and, and, and authenticity truly shines in a forum like this very often. And so I know you from Twitter. We've interacted a couple times, but I... I'm hearing you talk and I'm thinking to myself how many things we have in common. And that really resonated most with me uh, two nights ago when I reached out to you and I said, hey, Rob is double booked. We can't, we can't video. And uh, I was like, man, I, I hate this. I feel terrible. And it wasn't that I 
it wasn't that I was upset that we couldn't potentially video it. It was that I hate letting people down. Like sure. I, I didn't want you to think that I was unprofessional or whatever it may be. And so you said, it's all right, man. I don't stress about stuff. Yeah. And I was like, yes, like I don't really stress about much either. And uh, a lot of folks don't know what that's like. Is that something that you've learned over time or is that something that you've, you've, you, that came with you innately? What is that from? I think it's something I've learned because I used to be, uh, you know, pretty high strung. I'm, I'm high energy. Uh, so it's not uh, a big reach to go to high strung about things, you know. And, and working here, even a few years ago, like things would happen and not go my way and I get so upset and angry about it. I'm like, this is stupid. Mm. Like not, not only am I upset about this thing, but now I'm upset about being upset. And that's really stupid. Yes. To, to be mad about being mad. <laughs> and like, damn it, I'm not even mad about the thing anymore. I'm mad about being mad. And I remember uh, the night that my wife told me that she was pregnant with our son. She, I was at work and she calls me. And I'm like, this is not how this is supposed to go. <laughs> like, I, I mean, we were, we were trying to have a baby, so it wasn't a surprise. Right, right. Like, I knew like the outcome of what we're doing, there's going to be a baby, hopefully. Um, but I, I was upset about something and I got this call and I'm like, man, this doesn't matter. Like it was instant perspective. And my boss, uh, Stephen, our brewmaster come up and talk about something and he's like, Hey man, you just got to chill. I was like, well, I just got some news that I know I'm going to learn some patience. And I, I feel like raising a person who has no idea how things work, uh, has, has gotten some patience for sure. But yeah, I, I just don't, I just refuse to stress. And yeah. I think sometimes at work, Especially with Boulevardia coming up, that's a big deal, and people Huge. get people get stressed out about that here. I think sometimes people think that I'm not working or that I'm not busy enough, and I, I've been told that like, "Hey, Dan, what's going on?" I'm like, "Oh, not much." <laughs> so like, "Oh, do you do anything?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm doing like twelve things." Right. So I've actually gotten in the habit, and we're talking about you know how are you doing or how's your day going. I've gotten in the habit of someone says, "Hey, what's going on?" Here are three things I'm working on. Yes, and that you can have more real interactions that way too, but then also let people into whatever your world is at work. Because there are people, and rightfully so, might not completely understand my role here at Boulevard. People outside, you know, whenever I do interviews or, or stuff like this, so what do you really do? And I'm sure there are people here at, at work who don't completely understand. Right, so like the I, Bobs from Office. Right, what would you say you do here? Right. <laughs> so I'll tell like, well, I'm, I'm working on label copy for this smokestack beer. I'm writing this blog post to announce this beer, and then I'm uh, organizing the spirit dinner right now. And like, oh, well, do you want to talk about that? I'm like, sure. So like sharing that, I think, makes a lot of sense too. Sure. So you had mentioned writing down uh, through your, through your uh, learning moment, yeah. writing down a couple of guiding principles for yourself. Uh, and the first one is let the haters hate. And the second one is, is really focus more on the things that, that lift you up as opposed yeah. to the things that tear you down. That is literally the mantra for fundamentalism, right? Gravitate more towards the things that give you strength yeah. as opposed to the things that tear you down. And so, uh, uh, again, uh, as, a, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about all the parallels and, and the things that we have in common. We talk about oftentimes how work is a stressor for many people, right? Either you're under the gun, uh, you're behind your to-do list, you feel like you're you're not uh, getting as much appreciation or whatever it may be. And so ultimately, you're waiting on others to create this environment for you. You're waiting sure. on others to create this fun for you or to, to express value. Um, what are some of the, the things that you do or some advice that you would give to individuals to ensure that their, their work experience is a little more engaging and fun to them? And I think talking about being relieved for getting fired, you know, like, I worked with a guy in a restaurant a long time ago, and the dude hated life every day. He would complain. And finally, one day during a busy shift, I talked him into walking out. I was like, you should quit right now. And he's like, really? Do it. You won't. I was like, you should, you should quit, dude. He's like, no, I can't. I'm like, yes, you can. You, you can quit. I'll take your tables. Give me your money. I'll, I'll turn in your cash out at the end of the shift. I'll get your tips to you. And he's like, thank you, and, and walked out and left. And my boss is like, what's happening? Oh, I'm like, what's, where's Patrick going? I'm like, oh, he just quit. Why? I told him to. Like he, he hates it here. That's why you're not in management. <laughs> right, yeah. He hates it here. You don't like him. You know, he's gone. I'm going to take his tables. So, like, stop doing things. But, I mean, you, you feel tied into it. Sure. You feel like, like you talked about the guy, you know, what would happen if you got fired? Well, I'd be relieved. Yeah. There was a lady named uh, Amy Brown, and she came to prominence for being the lady behind the, the Wendy's Twitter handle. Okay. And just started roasting awesome. people. Yes. Yeah. And she actually, she left that job 
because she got worried that too much of her own personal identity was tied up into that. Oh, wow. And she wrote this really amazing essay about it, how like she wasn't unhappy there. Um, she was feeling pressure, but she was like, if I lose this job, do I lose who I am? And she realized, oh, if that happens, I have to go. But like, so I'm not saying like, don't be too wrapped up, but also if like, there's nothing rewarding about that, get out. But at right. the same time, what I found the most success in doing, and, and this is lucky that I've been given this opportunity, is I, I kind of have the autonomy to get involved in projects that I think are fascinating, where I think I have mm. the opportunity to make a difference. Yes. Um, and I'll find myself, we had, we had a Boulevardia meeting to talk about the glassware for Taps and Tastes. That's something I want to dork out on, make sure the glassware, first off, looks cool. That's, I think things need to look cool. That's fun. But then also it makes sense to drink beer out of. And then they were going to talk about you know, like hats and shirts and everything else. Like, Dan, do you want to stick around? I said, no. I, I don't want to be there. So like, stop doing things you don't have to do or don't want to do. Right. Like I see people sit in meetings where they never, or, and not here, because I think people are good about this, but you- Of you course, talk, you, not here. No, 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 no. <laughs> everything's cool. No, but like, I'll find myself sometimes in meetings here where I'm like, I don't really care. Right. Or, sh- or don't need to be. I don't need to be here. Yeah. Yes. No one's going to ask me what I think about this. Right. And if I were to raise a concern, would it matter? No, then don't go. Right. Like if you, if you waste your time where you don't have the opportunity to make an impact, why would you do that? I think people could like simplify and be more efficient in that regard too. And I think a lot of people, every business has meetings. Sure. You know? And I think- Every everyone outside Boulevard thinks, oh, it's this playground all day, and it, it's an amazing place to be. But it's still a job. Sure, you know? there are times we go home and we're like, oh man, today wasn't the best day. Was it better than my best day somewhere else? Probably so. Right. So you have to have that perspective. But like, you you just waste time sometimes, and you're like, I shouldn't be here. I could be working on something that I care about more, or that I have the the greater opportunity to make an impact. And in my role, I I go to a lot of meetings with folks who run our company. And sometimes um, I'm in situations where like, I don't necessarily 100% agree with something or with someone, but I don't have the opportunity to influence that, so I don't waste my Just time. Just stay out of it. Yeah. Yeah, smart. And, and my wife has had that in, you know, in her history, too. She's like, I don't really agree with this, but I can't change it, so I'm not going to worry about it. Yes. Um, I always talk about, and I talk about the movie Fight Club a lot, and that's probably... Uh, yeah, you've made a couple reference before the podcast yeah, started. Yeah, that's probably something that's just... My age being, you know, a male, I identify with that movie, but there's a scene in the cave where Edward Norton is talking to his spirit animal. Yeah. And he's like, you have to let that which truly does not matter. And the penguin goes, slide. <laughs> and like, you just have to let things slide. That's man. true. And I, I've gotten better about that. Yes. And I used to like wait for things. Like there's, there's two types of people who go out to uh, like a movie or go to public or something like I hope something happens and there's a situation or a conflict and there's people like, I just want to have a good time. Yes. And like, if you are that person who, like if you're looking for trouble, you're going to find everything. That's exactly right. So like, I just realized. Or if you're to, looking for a great time, you're going to find it. Yeah. Do you want to have fun? Cool. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll be leaving for a trip and someone will be like, Hey, have a good time. And I go, always do. Yes. I always, right. I always have a good time. I do what's in my yeah. control and I that's al- it. Yeah. <laughs> I always have fun. Yeah. But yeah, like letting things slide is huge. Dude, it's funny that you say that because, um, Sometimes people will tell me good luck before I go on stage or they'll ask me if I'm nervous or whatever it may be. Sure. And I tell them every single time, like it's the same answer every single time. I say, I guarantee you one thing, I'm going to laugh at all my jokes yeah. and I'm going to have a phenomenal time up here. The question is, do you want to roll with me? Right, right. And so I, what I love about what you're saying is there, there are two different, there are the, I have to do this. And then there's the things that we think we have to do. Sure. And so what I'm finding a lot about corporate America and, and any organization, whether it's corporate, you know, individual business owner or whatever it may be, sometimes we do things because we think that it's, it's something that's going to move it forward or that it, they need to be done or it's going to get me noticed. But as a result, it just brings more stress to you. Yeah. And it doesn't really need to be done, but you feel like it needs to be done because it's going to get you further. And the only place that it really gets you is further down that rabbit hole of misery. Yeah. So I love the fact that you were talking about letting things slide and doing more of uh, the things that you enjoy doing. Gravitate towards the projects that you know interest you. Yeah. And don't raise your hand because that's that's something that I fell victim to when I got when I was in corporate America's. Hey, we need somebody to take on, and I would be the first dude every single time raise my hand because I thought, oh, that's going to get me in senior leadership. 
dude, I got the senior leadership and I was like, well, this freaking sucks. I'm yeah. out of here. I feel lucky that I figured out I don't want that. Yes. You know, people are like, what are you going to do at Boulevard 20 years from now? Do you want to run Boulevard? I'm like, no. I'm going to be the ambassador brewer. Right. I'm going <laughs> to be the old ambassador brewer. And there'll be a young ambassador brewer maybe, but like my goal between now and the time I retire is to like systematically stack people between me and the top. Sure. Like I, I had a coworker um, in, in a review. She got reviewed before I did and then I got reviewed. I'm like, do you have anything to add? I was like, you know, if, if she, if you guys want to promote her and make her my boss, that's cool. And they're like, you'd be fine with that. I'm like, yeah. Like, keep keep stacking people above me. Yeah. I, I want to be a worker bee. Yeah. And yeah, like once you realize that you don't have that ambition for upward mobility, that's freeing. Man, I get like, it. Because people, like, do you want to run Boulevard? No, no. man. <laughs> I already am. I'm I'm running the uh, the interactions as a result of Boulevard, yeah. right? So we have people who are qualified and good at running Boulevard. That's right. They they should keep doing that, and I should keep doing this. I just want to run the media account. Yeah. Uh, so the two things that I want to cover before we wrap up. So we mentioned that you went to. You mentioned that you went out and saw a game in Chicago. Yep. I like you uh, have been a Kansas City Royals fan from day one. I mean, I and back when we were losing a hundred games, four out of five seasons, and uh, I remember my buddy John and I, best friends since the fifth grade. We would literally back when papers were big, we'd pull out the Kansas City Star, and our team was always terrible. Uh, you know, we had the Bob Hamms of the world and the you know. Angel Barroas and it, it, all decent players, but collectively we just never could field yeah. a team that was decent. And so we would literally pull open the Casey Star when we worked together, and we would see who were the up and comers. But nobody knew that we were diehard Royals fans um, because the social media wasn't so big right. back then. Right? Come 2014, John has this brilliant idea to put on a wrestling singlet and a cat profile pic on it, and it it blew up. And so as a result, social, social media is out there, and there's a lot of folks that are like, oh, these guys come out of the woodwork. Where were they when they were losing 100 games? Right. We were here. Yeah, we, were, yeah. we just weren't. We were, dude, I remember, I remember vividly going out. Chili Davis was our DH, and I remember back when left field GA was awesome. Uh, you yeah. could go there were $5 tickets. Right. Left, uh, we left high school uh, our, our, our day to go out and paint our chest. Chili was set to hit his 300th home run, so we were going to do Chili 300 or Chili 300 on our on our chest, and he hit it the day before. We're like, oh. Crap! Well, what do we do now? Chili, chili 301. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, Dude. we were always out there, and what's amazing is I I know we've kind of had this conversation before. I know that you've had it with John. There's a lot of quote unquote super fans out there. Sure, we were never super fans. We were jackasses that decided to just do something fun, and it blew up. And we're still Royals fans to this day. We don't do that stuff. But we, I had the opportunity to take my daughter and my wife to Chicago uh, at the Cell, the White Sox, which is not the most inviting place in the world for opponents. No, no uh, there, there are more welcoming places right. to go, yeah. Imagine that in a cat singlet. Oh, man. So we wore it. Uh, I, I wore it, wore the cat singlet out there. And uh, do you know Royal Santa, John Shuey, his son is Jeremy Shuey. It's out yeah. there. Oh, yeah. So they they were luckily like kind of ambassadors and they, you know, he's cool, you know, and all that jazz. But it was it was a prominent spot right behind home plate. Had an absolute blast, and I was surprised that I didn't get stabbed or shot. Right. But there were some moments where I feel like if our six-year-old daughter wasn't there, that maybe just maybe things would have been a little bit different. So social media is crazy in that you have two knuckleheads doing that. Uh, and that's when kind of Royals Twitter blew up. Yeah, I think so. And, um, the, you know, you were doing your thing, we're doing our thing, everybody's doing their thing. And then ultimately we all come together for like fun events and to celebrate our city and to celebrate the Royals and stupidest moment in my life, man. But that moment brought me to sitting across the table, you know, from you interviewing you. And so I think there's a lot to be said for the parallels, the kind of the theme of this this podcast. It's amazing what could happen when you just get out of your head and you do things that make you smile or bring you joy. Yeah. So improv. Okay. Uh, so I did. Um, I used to be in in leadership, farmers insurance. We did an improv uh, getaway, and so they took us through like eight, nine different activities. Everything I do is off the dome. Like uh, it's just I, I wouldn't say a, I'm I'm. I'm trained in improv. I'm just uh, witty and kind of fun-loving, and whatever happens, happens, right? Yeah. Well, you're a person, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
we did this event where it was called the uh, the Imaginary Photo Book. Do you know this one? I don't know this one, no. So you pull the Imaginary Photo Book off the shelf, right? And you pull it open, and it's typically in groups of three, but we could do it in two if you wanted to. But you open up the first page, and you know what I find is as we grow older, we get further and further away from our creative side. We used to paint pictures and act a fool and make up dances and tell yeah. stories as kids. We don't do that stuff as adults anymore. So you open up this Imaginary Photo Book, and you just start telling your partner what you see in these photos. Oh, cool. Just completely making up stories, right? And so as we're doing this, you're asking me questions about the photo. Well, oh, who's that? Who's that creepy chick in the background? Oh, I don't want to talk about that creepy chick in the background. That created a lot of problems, right? The, The third person in the party, in a group of three, is asking me very basic math problems Every every three to five seconds. Hey, what, what's three plus two? What's seven plus nine? What's what's six minus four? And so the theme of it is, first of all, get back to your creative side. Yeah. But the math problems represent the distractions that we face day in and day out. You know, your boss coming into you, your email chiming in, some some fire that you have to put out. And I love going through that exercise because it just gets you back to see that like th- these aren't these are things that I'm allowing to get to me. It's still possible to tell the story and yeah. do what I'm focused on and not allow these challenges to mess with me. So there's so many cool improv things that you could do that drive parallels and correlations to real life. Um, but off the dome, what are, what are some of your favorite uh, improv uh, situations that you found yourself in? So I used to do a lot of uh, short form improv, which is the games. Okay, like that's what you see on Whose Line Is It Anyway. Yes, and I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was fun. One of my favorite games was called Sports Center. Okay, and you have two people who are uh, it's it's a game for four people typically. You have two people who are commentating the sport, and then two people who are the athletes. But the thing is, the sport isn't a sport. It's washing a dog or baking a cake. Oh, yeah. Okay. But then you, you compete in this very like um, exaggerated manner, and there's always catastrophe. Sure. Like, no one ever makes a perfect cake. You right. know? Things go south or whatever. Um, and it's the job of the commentators to, um, in, in improv, we talk about giving gifts. Okay. Where you're like, um, and that means in a, in a situation like, it's about taking care of your partner. So if you, if you walk into a scene, I'm like, Hey dad, how was your first day at the tire factory? I've I've told you everything. Like you're my dad. Yes. You, you work at a tire factory. Today was your first day. Right. I've given you this gift. Boom. You don't You've have to eat it up. Yeah. You don't have to walk in and think, oh, who am I? What's happening? Right. Scene. <clears throat> Pardon me. You automatically know what's going on. Sure. So you give gifts to the athletes who are performing, but then the athletes give gifts back where they be like, oh no, something terrible is happening. Like there's a wombat that's come into the kitchen, and they communicate that, and it, the, the athletes don't talk. But the, the commentators are given that gift of this crazy physical reaction to talk about. So it's a cool give and take. And, mm. and I like that because it, it, it carries over into like, um, like giving gifts in real life. Yes. This is, a, is such a ridiculous tangent to talk about. But there's this concept, and it, it's, so, um, it's so cliche and dumb, but it makes so much sense. There's a concept called giving flowers to the living. Okay. Are you familiar with this? No. So when someone dies, we send flowers to their funeral, right? Yes. And they're dead, and they can't see those flowers or appreciate them. But what if you sent flowers to people who are alive to, hey, I'm thinking about you? Yeah. And it's not actually physical flowers. Sure. But just texting someone, Some hey, kind man, of appreciation. hope you're having a good day. Yeah. Um, and I, that's like, oh, man, it's so cool. But like, you give each other flowers and improv. And yes. Like, that allows the scene to grow and blossom and to be this productive, collaborative thing versus if you walk into a scene and you go, hey, dad, how was your first day at the tire factory? And I go, I'm not your dad and I'm from Mars. <laughs> like suddenly I've, wah, I've wah. I pulled everything out from yes. under you and the audience feels that and it's awkward as hell. Sure. Like I've, I've seen bad improv. I've been a part of bad improv. So uh, I, I did a lot of that, but then I really started doing long form, which is um, the, the nice thing about short form is it's quick. So if you're in a bad scene, you're in hell for three minutes. Right. But I, I started doing long form of like 35, 45 minute sets with no intermission. Sure. And if you if you get stuck in a bad scene there, just buckle up, buddy. <laughs> like you're, you're in for 30 minutes and not good times. But um, for me, it was more about creating relationships and having real conversations. And my, my favorite thing is people would say, how do you prepare to be funny? And I, I, I mean, people laugh at me sometimes. Yeah. And I, I know that I say funny things. But I don't think I'm funny. I think I'm honest. Yes. And people... And you're not trying to be funny. No, I'm not trying to be funny. And people interpret that as being funny because they're not used to the reactions that sure. you have. So in an improv scene, when you 
are in a situation that mirrors real life. And most of the time, those are the best scenes that seem relatable and real. And in that situation, you know what everyone in the audience is thinking they'd say in that situation. But having the guts to say that, to be honest, that's communicated as funny. But in, in reality, it's just being honest and real. So I, I like that. I like blowing minds and people are like, oh, you're so funny. And you're like, no, I was just real, but you, you viewed it as funny. Sure. And Oh, well, so you're not funny. I'm like, no, no, I am. I'm very funny. Don't take that away from right. me. I'm very funny. But, and you laughed, and that, that was the whole point. But to kind of, to translate that to them uh, of why they thought it was funny. Sure. I, th- I think is really cool. So, like, having people who come from the brewery, who know me here at work, and I'm the same guy at work. I'm not, there's not corporate Danner. That would be ridiculous. Yes. Um, but having people come and like, oh, like you're the same person on stage that you are at work. And I'm like, yeah, yep. that's the whole that's point. Right. Like I enjoy playing myself. So having, having those moments are really cool. Um, there's a gal, Tammy in accounting who came out to one of my shows once and she's like, Oh my God, you're, you're really funny. And I'm like, well, did, did you not think so <laughs> yeah, before? Exactly. Like, do you just humor me when I stop by your office? Right. But like opening people's eyes to that. That's probably one of my favorite things to do is have people to see you in a different light, in a, in a different setting, you know? Well, and what I love about that is I think that you could do improv. Um, people would do improv all day at work. Yeah. Like, you can make work fun by doing improv, and, and there are people out there doing it. I didn't expect this in this interview today, uh, Danner, and that uh, I know that you're a very fun-loving guy. You're very humorous. We have a lot of, uh, of uh, things in common, kids, uh, mentality. But I feel like this is the most content-rich from an organizational development uh, or uh, uh, an individual going through corporate America and working um, in terms of aids in making the environment better or working through some struggle at work. This is one of the best I've ever uh, I've ever been a part of. So thank you for that. Thanks, man. Um, if you learn if you if you learn anything about improv or know anything about improv or don't know, I encourage you guys to research it. You don't have to take your team out there to go to an event. You can literally Google you know five to ten improv uh, activities for work, and you're going to find something fun. Uh, you'll appreciate this in closing. I, I get the opportunity to do a, a gig down in Abilene recently. And Abilene, relatively small town. Um, my style, woo, is not the most common. Right. And it's a little, <laughs> we don't think too kindly to your kind around here, yeah. boy. Uh, but nevertheless, I, I go out there and I'm, I'm invited by this gentleman that has seen me before. He's a prominent insurance agent <laughs> in the area. And uh, so he invites me on the stage. He does the intro. Prior to the intro, I see the set of bongos in the back. Nice. And so I'm like, dude, it's going down. So he very seriously, I saw this guy, you guys are going to like it. You know, he's, he's, he's very professional. He talks about fun. It's not what you think. So I go out on stage and I take the bongos and a stool and I don't say a word. And I sit down on the stool and I put the bongos right in front of me and I look and I nod to everybody and I start playing the bongos. Feel. Eens. Feel. Eens. Look around and I go... Happy, sad, feel, eens. Do they are looking at me like an absolute idiot, right? Yeah, like, did we take well, acid? What happened? Yeah. So I stood up and I go, how pissed off would you guys be if you gave up your night? You thought this is what you guys are getting <laughs> oh, into man. right now. How many of you are making judgments on me right now? And then the room lightened up, dude, and yeah. it was absolutely amazing. And then I got into my content, but that was improv. That was yeah. just like, I saw something. They're going to like it. They're going to hate it, but I'm going to have a freaking blast. And that is what we should do more of. Yeah, I don't um, I don't break ice. I obliterate. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I'll, I'll be real quick. We had dinner in uh, in Denver uh, during uh, Craft Brewers Conference Week uh, last month with someone from our distributor. Someone very like they run the distributor, a, a national company, and we're seated at opposite end of the table. I'm, I'm at one end; he's at the other end. And I, I lean over to my buddy and go, "Hey, watch this." I go, "Hey, man, um, we're having this conversation down here, trying to figure it out uh, because we're seated at the ends of the table." Am I the daddy or are you the daddy? <laughs> and and the sales guys that are with me are like, what are you like? I see him just like panic and he goes, Oh, you're definitely the daddy. Oh yeah, you are. I, I'm I'm mommy. <laughs> and the whole night, every time like we got some shared appetizers and we had, you know, some beers, and he's like, Daddy, you want some wings? That's like, awesome. Yes, mommy. And we, we talked about that afterwards and like, 
how did you know that was going to be okay? I go, I don't, I don't, I just, I read the guy. Sure. I made a micro read really fast. And that's my job. Yes. Is to read people incredibly fast. But then also like, it's, it's weird when you're not expecting someone that important to be at your dinner table. And I could sense that people were uncomfortable and I'm like, screw this, man. I'm just, I'm going to obliterate the ice. Yes. And just like change the rules. Well, um, I'm putting you on the spot right now. It's getting to be summertime. We're going to start doing more fundamism on the streets. Uh, and what that means is I need you to commit to going out with me and doing some improv with complete strangers down in Kansas City. I'll do that for sure. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, hey, Jeremy Danner, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're a gentleman. Uh, you are a scholar, kind of, yeah. in your realm. Yeah. In, some, in the realm of beer. I read some stuff. Twitter yeah. warriors. Yeah. And, uh, and ultimately improv. But uh, thoroughly enjoy. If you want to learn more about Danner, follow him. Is it just at Jeremy Danner? It's uh, Jeremy underscore Danner. Yeah. Jeremy underscore Danner. Uh, t- I'm telling you, you're in for a treat. It'll bring some fo- fun, joy, and fulfillment to your day. Obviously, Boulevard's out there. You guys got to try their beer. It's available in, in a lot of states. You're in 41 states 41 right now. 41 states. Yeah. So no matter where you are, you could probably find some. My personal favorite is the Boulevard Wheat. It's my go-to. But they got a lot of great flavors out there. Guys, thank you very much for tuning in. As always, if you haven't rated us on whatever your platform of uh, preferred streaming is, do so, please. You're helping us get exposure and uh, getting fundamentalism out to the masses. But most importantly, go out and create a little bit of fun in your life and in the life of others. Enjoy your day, and we're out.